They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Before I get into my very special returning guest, which sounds weird, before I get into, before I get to, um, you know, <laughs> this is a show of consenting adults. Ladies and gentlemen, Always. sorry, Andy. I didn't. I didn't know if you knew I was going to be getting into you today. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, with with that, yeah, word salad. Um, I'd like to thank my fifteen dollar or more a month patrons. Um, that list has grown um, significantly between the last show I recorded, actually, and today. Um, there are now fifteen of you. Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, collaborating online, Alex Shaw of School of Movies, Seth Comfort, Seth Decker, Andrew Krause, and Little Nikki, who was an intern of mine for many years ago at work, Adam Rovinelli. Adam, thank you so much. And to my newest patrons, Andrew Krause, Seth Comfort, Little Nikki, Rita Peterson, Adam Stewart, and Jessica Luker. I honestly I would still continue doing this, but I couldn't continue doing this without you guys um, because I'd have to be spending all the time I spend on this doing lucrative things because this would be leaving my you know family without income. So <laughs> you guys are giving me a way to, um, and I've said this with other guests, this is like therapy for all of us, especially now with the last like six months. Of recording these things it's good to just be able to talk to somebody about whatever and um i'm glad that you guys enjoy listening to it um i hate feeling like an e-beggar that's out there going hey i'm basically just goofing around with my friends and i want you to pay for it but for those of you that are enjoying it it means the world to me and for those of you that have an issue with it i you know all i can do is apologize that it looks that way to you i guess you don't see the positivity in what i'm trying to do um this week's show is a lot of shows i do is brought to you by the geeks with shields podcast each week host axel and ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline talking everything from comics to long forgotten movies and tv shows if the darkest timeline has you down check out the geeks with shields podcast for all your nerdy needs and with that returning guest for i believe the fifth time is it now andy i believe so i believe it is the fifth time i don't know where that puts me among returning guests but it's pretty up there i assume i think it's on the top it's it you're at least battling with the geeks with shields who probably um, have been on it five or six times i think so i guess if my ranking is individual guest, I'll take that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, it, you know, we, we we may do some of you know your your niche today, which was running your radio show. Spoiler alert, which I always think is fun to be able to bring back. But it would be impossible. And this is for people that don't like hearing about negative stuff. Um, this is where you fast forward. Um, but it would be <laughs> impossible to talk about um, anything without talking about, like you said, the radiation behind the times. And we were having a conversation before I hit the record button, which I'm going to check again that the record button is going because I've made that mistake too much recently. Yep, we are recording. Yeah. Um, we were talking before about how I'm 
on the um, East Coast in Lynn, Massachusetts. And for people that are not from my area, Lynn, Massachusetts has now been declared the epicenter for the spread of COVID-19. We have the highest numbers in the state of Massachusetts. We are a red city, as they call it. Um, our kids are not allowed to um, interact with kids who are going to school in other communities. Ooh. We're not allowed to go out of district and schools like for special needs children like my daughter that were going to at least be the small percentage of special needs kids. We're supposed to be going back. And when we hit that red number, all schooling has been closed and there's no one on one or in person stuff for anybody. Oh, so man. I would just like to say. Fuck every single one of you entitled bastards that have been screwing it up for everybody. This disease shouldn't be spread as badly as it's being spread. And I don't care if you think it's bullshit or not, wear your damn mask. And with that in mind, um, <laughs> you um, are in a part of our country which is touched by the other horribly awful thing that's been going on, you know, not only during this pandemic, but forever for since the beginning of history country and yeah basically yeah. the beginning of history of this nation and what most of this nation was founded on you were in what do you say right out of minneapolis yep i live in downtown minneapolis so for the people who have been living under a rock <clears throat> don't know how you could be why don't you let people know what's been going on in minneapolis yeah in case somehow you have like not interacted with news at all whatsoever in any form or fashion which i don't know how i guess you must actually literally be some sort of invertebrate under a rock um i live in minneapolis where um basically the uh police you know unjustly murdered a black man george floyd um which ended up you know causing weeks of protest protesting and rioting throughout the city. Um, protesting has not at all ended whatsoever in Minneapolis. Uh, just, you know, basically the media does not pay attention to it because people aren't, you know, wrecking shit, which uh, is now we know is pretty much the only way that any of this actually gets attention. Um, so... I don't know what to tell people who are very frustrated with writers. Um, it's just kind of how it is. This this is how the world is currently. Um, and it's kind of escalated across the country. Um, Portland is regularly fighting its police like every night. Um, now in Kenosha, right over in Wisconsin next door, um, a right-wing militia 17 year old murdered two people um everything is insane yeah absolutely insane and the republican national convention which don't want to split this into political things but they continue making it political i mean it, it affects be, our lives like it should just it be about our... basic human it should just be about basic human rights at this point though and i hate that they make it so fucking political but the republican national convention called them you know, um, what were the words they were using? Uh, they, they were referring to all of the protesters as savage anarchists and things of this nature. And it's like, you guys aren't helping oh, <laughs> the boy. situation at all. Oh, boy. I'm sure that the anarchists who have been shot at by police and militia guys are definitely feeling violent. 
Oh boy. You know, and it's just, it's, it's ridiculous because, you know, people act like this is all new. Well, people were never this upset before. It's like, no, this was a unified level of upset because it showed that it, it was happening everywhere. It showed it wasn't I, just yeah. incidents. I mean, we have Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, right? That was Louisville or some, it's she, ugly. her killers have not been brought to justice and they held positions of power. No, I when lived I, in St. Louis when Ferguson happened and like that, was six years ago. Tamir Rice was um, 2015, 2014, around then. Like, um, the George Zimmerman shooting was 2012. Like, all of this has been happening for a while. Like, I don't want people to think, like, suddenly people are fed up with injustice now. Like, it's like, been a thing. Popular. Yeah. That, that's the thing I hate hearing. Oh, it's because it's popular. It's like, yes. well, well, it's one, popular to confront the police and get tear gas. I'm sure people are just lining up because they love doing that. Well, and that's the thing. They're, they're using the wrong word, but they're onto something. But what they're onto isn't a negative thing. It's <clears throat> popular. And that's the wrong word. It's people are seeing that voices are actually being heard and changes actually being made. And it doesn't feel like the constant never ending battle that it's been forever. You know, yeah. we, 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 you know, people go, you know, well, why, why hasn't it been like this? You know, the, the last time there were big riots like this was, you know, Martin Luther King or like the, the LA riots, you know, you, you look back and you go, it's because people are seeing that there's actual change being made. If you have to scream every day for your entire life, you're going to get sick of yelling. Yeah. Your throat well, hurts. I, I just, I can't imagine. So I, I would hope, um, and this is not, you know, <laughs> the, like people would say to me, well, so you're for these riots. So what if they came down your street? Literally the next day, uh, um, peaceful protest march. But again, you know, people don't like that word because that, oh yeah, these peaceful protesters, a peaceful protest march went through my city and walked right by the, the front of my street that I live on. And I welcomed it. They go, what do you mean? Why, why wouldn't you defend your house? What am I defending from? I stand with them. Yeah. Like, you know and I, I, I want to reiterate this to people, like, especially after the whole thing with the St. Louis gun couple, people oh, walking down a street and yelling is not violence. Right. And even the, the other thing I say, you know, people go, well, what about if you were a police officer, wouldn't you feel threatened or, or get angry or snap with someone up there screaming in your face or throwing cans and stuff at you? I go, yeah, yeah, no, I probably would. But you know what else? I signed up for that job. I have training that teaches me that I am the authority figure in that situation. If I am met with force, I should be allowed to meet it with the same opposing force. But if someone whips a can at my head or tells me to go fuck myself, I don't have a right to shoot them. Yeah. Like <laughs> people don't seem to necessarily realize like the level of police output is not equal at all to even like some of the worst rioters. Like no rioters have rubber bullets. 
I get it. Police are supposed to be there to de-escalate and protect. That's what they're supposed to be there for. Sometimes de-escalation and protection is running into a crowd and the violent people get thrown down on the ground and get handcuffed. You know what I mean? Sometimes there has to be force there. But that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people getting clubbed for no reason. People getting shot for no reason. This is you don't just fire rubber bullets into a crowd. Like it's 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 just crazy to me. It is. Um, it's such an escalation of violence. Um oh man. So yeah, fun times. So that's uh, so we're, we're 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 hitting both ends of the spectrum. And you know, the only thing, if one of us actually worked for the film or entertainment industry, then we'd cover it all because, well, I don't feel any sort of sorrow for AMC or Showcase Cinemas or Regal and all their whining, boo-hoo, we have to reopen. I do feel for people that make movies. I feel for people that would like to be able to make money off of their films. That is sad. I feel for every business that's affected by this. And that's why I love the outpouring of people in the entertainment industry. Some of the biggest names out there. Yeah. I'm, you know, and they're like people from lower levels, like people that work for Blumhouse and stuff. Yeah. I'm struggling to put foot on food on the table because my movies aren't coming out, but you know what? I'd rather have that than die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, like I definitely like there are, I think people don't really get this. Like there are working people in Hollywood and just like movie making in general. Like there are just like regular union people who work the cameras and set up the lights and do yeah. makeup and hair. Like those are all working people. And, and it's, it's such a hard fine line to walk because I feel for, you know, people like Chris Nolan that try to toe the line of those guys and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to stand my ground and get my movie tenant, you know, into theaters. But when you leave him who I genuinely think cares about, you know, the people working and wants to get them, but they turn it into a politicized marketing campaign, you know, of like, we got to get the theaters open because you have to see our movie the way it was meant to be seen. And it's like, you're basically telling people that their $20 ticket to put their ass in there in that seat is more important to you than you keeping them safe. And then you get people like Tom Cruise. Did you see this trailer, this thing Tom Cruise put out? Um, I had heard about it. I didn't bother really seeking it oh, out. Oh, it's it's awful. He he basically made like a like a daily show, like you know, late night show, like puff piece thing of him getting in a car out of his you know, house or hotel with his mask on and recording himself going to a theater and paying to see Tenet and being like, "It's great to be back." And it's like, dude, one. Just make movies and shut up because you've gotten a pass, even though you're terrible. Like people all still show up to Tom Cruise movies. That isn't working the same way with Mel Gibson. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, with him, it's because like whatever horrible thing he's doing, he has the backbone of an entire religion helping him. Right. But the thing is, right. If he would just shut up, like, I, I love the amount of, like, excitement Cruz gets when he, like, advertised for a Mission Impossible movie because I genuinely, you know, outside of the Scientology crap, he genuinely seems to be a hard worker that puts his time in and puts himself on the line for my entertainment. But Oh, yeah, no, he's he's, he's a wonderful entertainer. Like, I also do not deny religion. that. He's also from religion that doesn't believe in science or medicine. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
you are not the right person to be sitting in a theater telling me it's safe for me to be there. I'm sorry, Tom. Like, <laughs> oh man, yeah, no. Every time he shows up, you know, in the news or whatever for something, I'm like, Jesus Christ! Like, why do you open your mouth at all for anything when you're not being directed by someone? And then I also here's the other thing that that you know on the, the flip side of that that I do feel bad for is I feel bad for actors and industry workers who work in nations that films are opening back up and they you know I mean what are you going to do you have to promote the thing you made do you know what I mean oh, yeah they so send them on tour and right yeah. so they're out you know on Twitter and things that are seen nationwide and they are getting torn to shit for the exact reason that I'm tearing Tom Cruise to shit right there but it's it's all in how it's done like an actor that makes a movie that's telling you hey you know and especially if they say wear appropriate PPE and get out to see it if you can you know yada 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 only in theaters now that guy's at least trying to tell me but do it safe you know what I mean but the, the video Tom Cruise put out it's him sitting in a theater with no spaces in between people you know yeah, and it's just like, come on, guy, you're you're setting a really bad precedent. You might as well be standing on a crowded beach with your mask off, telling everybody, "Come to Miami, everything's fine." You know yeah, what I mean? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just that the inability for that man to read the room. I mean, his ass has been showing for I don't know, like fifteen, twenty years at this point. But Jesus Christ, if that just isn't like another reiteration of that i mean if i if i was involved in that movie i would have been like i mean he has nothing to do with the movie no no like i'd be like what the fuck tom like (laughs) at least have one of the cat if you're gonna put out advertisements have like the cast or like the director do it and show him in a theater with like you know 12 feet of space between him and the other people and go hey we're working with the theaters to keep it safe come see tenet you know what i mean that would have been a good advertisement hey we're trying you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Eventually no. It has to open back up. It, mm-hmm. I, I don't want it to. I'm not going to go, but it has to. I mean, it, it's it's their lifeline. I, I right. get it. But I don't feel for the big the big big money makers at the top whining about it. I feel for the kid that sells the popcorn and I feel for the, you know, people making the films. But those guys are saying I'd rather stay home and be broke and be safe. That's what yeah. they're all saying. Right. No. Right. And, you know, a lot of this would be better if we had, you know, actual social safety nets and things like that that were, you know, oh, yeah. keep like, helping people not starve, but, uh, or, like you know, those get evicted. Terrible, those terrible socialist European nations have those awful people that, that we ran away from to create our, our wonderful nation made by teenagers stomping their feet and saying that their religious freedoms aren't, aren't harsh enough. That's the thing I like to remind people. The original Puritans came to the United States because the Church of England wasn't intense enough. <laughs> yeah. That was the reason they came here, not the other way around. It wasn't for more rights. They wanted more control. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. Oh, man. Yeah. But... That's the end of the negativity. Or I'm 
just wanted to give you an idea where we're sitting from. But you and I were talking, you had, you had sent me a couple of funky beers you ran into. And since I do a show called Hopped Ones and love getting funky beers, let's talk weird beers. Yeah, I kind of wanted like, I got this like itch in my brain. Um, I had like a weird dream like a month or so ago where it came like the idea of pickle flavored beer uh, came up and um, I ended up Googling. That's a real thing. Uh, someone yes, already is. made it. Uh, but like the the whole idea of like the the weird beers arms race that's happened and kind of tied into like the whole like craft brew micro brew culture, which I guess we should also talk about how those took those two things technically aren't synonymous. Um, And we can talk about that more, but that's kind of been like gestating in my brain for a while. Cool. So who, who made, did did you get to try the pickle beer? Cause I've had a pickle beer. Uh, Hold on. I haven't tried it. I just, let me Google pickle beer. Cause I tried (laughs) a pickle. It was, it was like a sour. Um, so it had like the base of like a cherry sour type beer, but, but they did the, the pickle thing. So it had kind of like a Belgian Saison, you know, that kind of like weedy thing, but then with like the dill pickle, like zing, like just, uh. (laughs) so when you Google pickle beer, the one that most prominently comes up is the sour pickle beer from best made. Ooh. Okay. So that's yeah. to the list. Yeah. And then there's a few other breweries that have made some pickle beers. Um, looks like Permanti Bros. Um, and there was another one that I saw here. Um, Urban Artifact and Bosque Brewing. So there's a few companies that have tried making uh, a pickle beer or a pickle flavored beer. And like, I don't know, this dream that I had, like, it got me wondering, like, why, what has made this turn into trying to get, like, very experimental with beer? Because it wasn't, like, too long ago where, like, people freaked out over Bud Light Lime. Yep. Yep. So I think, I think what did it. And again, this is just me speculating and we could talk forever is I think what did it, it it always comes from the, um, it it starts in the, you know, small micro brew, like hipster brewer community thing, but like, that's where, how IPAs took over, right? You got the, the, the Californian coast went nutty with IPAs and I love IPAs, but they're oversaturated, but you know, IPA was the first, like if you asked my father when he was still alive, what's the difference between beer and a craft beer? He would say, um, the hoppiness, all the craft beers are IPAs. Like that's, that's all he knew because the bar he went to, they had Bud Light, Budweiser and Coors. And then they had Harpoon IPA, Lagunitas IPA. And, um, uh, one other one. And it's like a dogfish head, I think. And so the craft beers with all they had were IPAs. And, I think a lot of people, you know, particularly like, you know, beer was such a male heavy thing and the wine and seltzer crew, you know, the seltzers are newer, but that, and the ciders, 
you know, spent their time catering to, you know, women and people that weren't into the hoppiness as much. And I think what ended up happening was the Belgians came in. The Belgians and other um, European breweries came in and they were already making the lambics and the weird sour beers and stuff. And that worked its way in because a lot of wines and ciders go the sour route. And so it's something that a man and a woman on a date can drink and both enjoy it. And now it all of a sudden becomes this across both sides thing. And I, I hate that it has to be gendered that way. I just know that's how the companies do it. You know, that's not the way I see yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely part of the marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and I don't know so if I, 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 think, I think the weird, particularly in the sour vein of things really brought the wine drinkers in. Yeah. Is what I think happened. Yeah, definitely. No, I've had a a good amount of friends who um, are like primarily wine drinkers uh, and weren't like that into beer who I was able to at least like get them to try a couple sours and they were like, oh yeah, that's pleasant enough. And they would drink that for like the night. And the gateway to all that was Hefeweizen. Uh, Yeah. Because a lot of people don't know the difference between a Hefeweizen and a Belgian white. They have a very similar base, but they come at it from a different place. But those baselines, because you're never going to get someone to drink a weird stout that doesn't like dark beers because they immediately think that's a strong beer, which they usually aren't. That's the other funny thing. No, Uh, I know the amount of friends who I had to convince, like, no, this stout is actually very pleasant tasting. It has coffee notes. Now, here's the deal. Speaking of weird beers, have you ever tried a golden stout? Um, once I think it's, they're incredible. It's like the green and red ketchup or clear Pepsi thing. Because the only thing that, unless a stout is brewed with coffee malts, the only thing that makes it the color that it is, is the fact that they use the chocolate malt. And that actually doesn't taste any different than the other colored malt. It just gives it the color. So if you go to that one baseline, you can have, um, a stout like that looks like a Budweiser, but with a stout head on the top of it and you drink it and it tastes like a stout. It's the weirdest goddamn thing. Yeah, no, like there's such the association of like aesthetics and flavor um, that it really cements itself. I mean, that, that even goes along to like what people think when they're like, Oh, dark beers are like really strong and nasty and whatnot. And it's like, well, no, but then we also have that assumption ourselves for those of us who really like stouts. And um, what's the other dark beer that uh, stouts were originally? Ports. ports, yes, or porters that were a deviation from. Um, yep. Yeah, like we have this association of like, oh, no, they're really like rich and coffee-like and whatnot. <laughs> but then, you know, throw us a blonde stout and we're like the hell is this yeah no it, it, it's wild now a- another thing since stouts have a good base um to pick up flavors because stouts are very they kind of a good stout opens your palate up right you know kind of like a good ipa opens your palate up and can bring other flavors along with it um stouts have always been one of the beers that people i don't think recognize they do a lot of weird stuff with um have you ever had an oyster stout? Um, I 
no, I'm not familiar with that. So it's because I I even thought, okay, this is going a little bit too far. But an oyster stout is one of the oldest versions of like a mainstreamed weird beer. And the reason for it is that briny, and I'm not talking like salty, like, you know, it's not like drinking salt, but that briny, like earthy flavor works really well in a stout. Like I've seen people, they, they get the same thing by using, um, uh, mushrooms. Okay. Like they can use like a, like a mushroom in a stout and it gives it this, like this, like weight to it. And I'm like, this is going to be disgusting having an oyster flavor in a stout, but the way that they do it. And I, and I wish I could, I've watched them do it and I wish I could remember what they really did. Cause I mean, they're, they're flat out, make it the shellfish. It's not like they just, Oh, you know, okay. So I'm not familiar with this in the stout form, but this yeah. is very common in Latin America, especially Mexico. Oh, uh, okay. Um, with, um, uh, whatchamacallit with like very like, uh, with loggers is much more common. Really? Uh, yeah. The only, one, the only one I had ever witnessed, um, that wasn't a stout in, in my, and again, I'm not was anchor steam does a, um, does an oyster, um, IPA or an oyster lager. Um, and, and it was really good. Yeah. So what, um, what's really common in Mexico and when I grew up in Texas, uh, this was very popular is there's um, like these drinks called uh, clamadas, which yes. were, yeah, where uh, you and you or there's something that starts with an M, but it just faded from my memory, um, where basically you mix beer and tomato juice and uh, the clam to make this drink. And it's usually has, you know, salt on the rim. It's kind of a weird combination of margarita beer and a yep. bloody mary or a yep. bloody maria um, and budweiser makes the most disgusting version of what you just mentioned ever yes i have tried it it's horrible my dad they call it, it a clamato yeah yeah no it's awful it's awful i've tried it because my dad brings it to parties um have i mentioned that my dad was a marketing executive at anheuser-busch no that's i mean they're a they're a cool company despite the um yeah they make (laughs) yeah no um so i i am familiar with a lot of their processes and their products Um, and God, yeah, that thing is a fucking nightmare of a drink. People love it. Like, yeah, that's the, and again, I guess the same thing comes with Bloody Marys, right? I'm not a Bloody Mary fan, but people have made me a Bloody Mary before that. I went, if it always tasted like that, I would love it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) but unfortunately most people's Bloody Marys just taste like tomato juice. That's boozy. And I just can't get into it. Uh, no, I don't like tomato juice to start with, so that's kind of a hard sell. Um, so I'm trying to think. So there's a company near me now, uh, called uh, Throwback Brewery, and they are a favorite of mine. They're from southern New Hampshire, and they've expanded. They bought an old 
historic farm and turned it into their brewery. And it's, it's, it's um, two women that are a couple and went to school together. And one of them does the business side. And one of them is a, a chemist who does the brewing and they live on this farm and they locally source all the ingredients. And it's just wonderful, but they do a thing called unafraid of the dark every year. And it's a stout and Porter series. You buy into it early and then they just go weird. And like, you know, you just, you, you get a, a growler, of each one every two weeks and they, and it's just incredible. And they've done things like beet stouts, which like okay. have a red foamy head on them. And that works the same way as the, as those other things. It just gives it a real earthy like body to it. it almost like, I wouldn't say almost like a milkshake, but it's approaching that it's like, and it just, it, it, it feels like you're drinking more than just liquid. It's really cool. They, they're the ones that did the uh, mushroom. They do chai tea, um, oh. caramel apple. Um, they did, uh, what did they do that was really weird? They did mint chocolate. Um, they did bacon. <laughs> they, okay. they did, uh, um, oh man, so many things. And what they'll do is they do those, then they have chocolate and food pairing and cheese pairing events with them. Oh, nice. Which, which is another, a whole other discussion about beer pairings with food just as complex as wine even though people oh absolutely have like, a tendency to think that it's not i mean i think that's probably like you don't get that pushback in europe i think where there is like a very like well-known and established a variety of beer culture as opposed to in the u.s where like for a very long time, we really only had, like, our major domestic breweries as, like, what we identified beer as. And another thing that weirds me out um, about people's um, approach, because, again, we haven't even touched the surface of how weird beer, beer can get. But a really simple thing with beer that really ticks me off that people don't seem to get is just like with wine, which... Anybody, even people that don't know anything about wine, understand that certain wines are meant to be served at room temperature. Yeah. You can serve them all cold, but certain ones are meant to be served at room temperature, and certain ones are not. People in the United States cannot friggin' understand that with beer. Oh, yeah. No, like, like in Europe, like, you go to Germany, you go to France, like, you order a beer, it's going to be, like, like, 50 degrees. And that's what I'm saying. And a lot of those beers, and actually this is the case with any beer, but certain beers, it doesn't taste better. But if you, I, I always like, if I buy like a, a beer that has a few in a pack, I leave one out and I put one in the fridge. And if you drink them, it's like drinking a completely different beverage. Oh yeah. I mean, the fact that the, the coldness numbs your taste buds, like you just don't taste as strongly as you do with, a warmer beverage. Yeah, it it's freaking nuts. Um, so I, I'm trying to think of more because I, I as as you know I do hopped ones and we find some weird stuff. Um, a lot of the weird stuff I find is in the cider world. Um, mm -hmm. And the cider, a lot of people poo poo it, but you know what? Cider is just as weird and crazy and complex as beer, and so I welcome it. I'm so glad that cider quickly beat down the beer problem of cider showed up and everybody said, okay, I want it to test taste just like apple cider and be boozy. And all of these companies, even angry orchard, who's like at the top of the, you know, we make one cider and that's it. They yeah. even started 
branching out into weirdness. And, and I think that's great because my sister-in-law, who does not like beer at all, never found a beer that she liked, even like the sweet ones, is in love with this craft cider place. So we can all go, you know, as like a, a family and like stand around and have a good time. And that cider place, man, they had a mustard seed one. They oh. did a, they did a margarita one. They did a habanero taro root carrot, blah, 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 blah like all over the place thing. They do a kiwi, ble- um, bell pepper, and a jalapeno one. They did a margarita one. They did, um, they do a pineapple jalapeno one. It, it's just oh, a nice. bonk. They, they did a pickle one. Uh, they they <laughs> called it. They called it the Pickle Rick, which, of course, oh, they boy. did. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Well, can't yeah. mess up on good marketing. So what's, um, what are some of the weirder beers you've, you've ran into recently? Um, I'm trying to think. Because it's been a while. I don't go. Do, I try not to go out and do too much shopping in person. Um, which um, limits me a little bit on what I've been drinking. I'm trying to think. I've had some like very solid like um like chocolate chocolate flavored stouts. Awesome. Those are great. Yeah. Which like for those of us who drink like a wide variety of beers, like that's probably not that out there. But like for people who tend to stick to just like a few things when it comes to the world of beer, the Samuel Adams chocolate stout is delicious go it's out one of and my try favorites, it actually. yeah yeah no that thing is a thing of beauty people please go try it yeah that's that, that's something you know and being from boston particularly um sam adams gets shit on a lot in in the craft beer world because you know they're a uh, <clears throat> craft microbrewery company quote unquote operating at the anheuser-busch level and uh they they play around with flavors and they do do weird stuff for a company that's that big. Um, the big misnomer with them is if you're drinking a beer from them, it most likely wasn't made in Boston. Um, yeah. They, I drink beer from them that's made in Boston because the only beers you can get from them that were made in Boston are, are on draft in Boston or the weird ones. Like if you get Utopias, I don't know if you ever heard of Utopias. No, I haven't. I will I will describe Utopias because we're talking about weird beer. It's a perfect one to do. Um, but Utopias is is made at the Sam Adams Brewery, which is a tiny little hole in the wall place. Um, their mass production facilities are in other states. Um, they're not okay. in Massachusetts. I think there's one in Vermont or Pennsylvania, and there's another one in California. And so most of the beer you drink are made there. Now, does it change how good the beer is? No, it doesn't. But, you know, people are, you know, the pictures they show of the Boston Brewery online, that's a real place. But it's a tiny little hole in the wall. You go and it's like a Disney park ride. You walk through it and, you know, that. but you can have Utopias there. Sometimes they give it out on tours, which is bonkers. But Utopias is this tiny little, I think it's 400 milliliter bottle. It looks like an old fashioned like envelope stamp, like a wax stamp kind of thing. It's got a little window on it. It's copper and it's got a little window that has the Sam Adams logo, which is actually, I believe, John Adams. It is not a picture of Sam Adams because Sam Adams was an ugly motherfucker. 
Um, so they use <laughs> different atoms, which I think is really funny too. Um, and Utopia's is a barley wine. Now, okay. do you know what a barley wine is? Heard of it? Don't actually know what is distinctive about it. So a barley wine basically tastes as far from a beer as you could ever imagine, but it's still a beer. And, and I'll explain why that is in a minute. So a barley wine is really high alcohol content. Now to get beer or anything to have really high alcohol content, you got to fill it full of very sugary things. Right. Because the sugar. It's got to yeah. That's why double or triple IPAs are a lot more palatable to people that don't like IPAs because most of the hop flavor is eaten up and replaced by the sugary flavors because mm-hmm. they have to fill it full of sugar so it gets sweeter. Now, right. a barley wine, and I don't know the exact ingredients, but it's the type of malt and the type of for- fermentation actually tastes like it's approaching vinegar levels. It's oh, got that right. kind of more like wine kind of um, sweetness to it. Um, it okay. it kind of has a molassesy, you know, molassesy kind of thing going on or a prune, okay. get prunish type flavors in it too. Um, and so the reason it's, it holds the world record, it's a higher alcohol every year. They keep push it further and further. But I believe the last one I tried was 28% alcohol by volume. So almost, uh, almost 60 proof beer. So almost and, spirit level. Yeah. And it costs $200 for a 400 milliliter bottle. Oh my! And someone bought it for me as a wedding gift. This is the only way I got to try it. Um, but the reason I say to be classified as a beer is most beers that the Anheuser-Busch Brewing Company makes are not classified as beers under the German purity law, Reimheibschgebot. And the mm-hmm. reason for that is they use rice right, and corn, which are not allowed under the German purity law. They replace the barley or the malts with rice and corn. Again, perfectly reasonable substitutes in a lot of countries do it. A lot of Japan's beers are done that way. But yeah, the pure you just yeah, boat is malts, malts and barley, water, hops, and why and yeast are the four ingredients and the only four ingredients that can be used in beer. And Rheimheibschke boat has only been changed once, and it was for the inclusion of the fourth ingredient of yeast. Up until a certain time, they didn't know what yeast was. They just knew that if they brewed the beer with malts that were kept in these bread barrels ah, <laughs> that there we go. worked. And if they didn't use them, it didn't. And then they found out what, um, what yeast was. So, uh, this is a uh, barley wines are kind of a lie because of the fermentation process they have to use, which I don't know off the top of my head what it is, but Sam Adams holds the world record for the strongest beer classified as beer under the German purity law interesting that's fascinating yeah i love and they tell you all about that on the sam adams tour they, they're very proud of that oh i'm sure <laughs> um but yeah no and it, it's cool i i would recommend it if you're in the area i mean basically everything in boston is a, is a glorified disney ride of history you know so you don't really get the full effect for most of it but like they have a party bus that takes you from the brewery to the first pub that ever sold their product and that pub is still tiny and they do weird <laughs> They do weird stuff like you went over there and they had a beer that they were pouring like a black and tan where they took the chocolate stout and the cherry wheat and they called it a chocolate squirrel and it was delicious. 
and you know and and they give you a free sam adams glass if you buy food at the at the pub and it, it you know it's a real rough and tumble like selfie like goodwill hunting style like guys getting in fist fights outside pub and so it's you know <laughs> it's a lot of fun um but yeah i mean they they've been carrying the torch and they do weird stuff like they make sour beers and they make odd stouts and odd ipas they're they're not shying away from it either now are, have you had any sour beers yeah yeah definitely do you like them because i i find they're really easy to screw up when one's uh, really good i love it i but, was gonna say they're very hit and miss yeah yeah it's one and everybody's doing them and they just really don't know how to do it yeah it, like, like i've had some excellent like cherry sours um Things like that, but I've also had some that are just like this is like horrible fruit punch, and that's it, it's interesting because you know you talk like Sam Adams had the cherry wheat, which again for all the people that have an issue with fruited beers, that's one of the best in my opinion that's existed for a long period of time because it tastes like they brewed it with cherries. It doesn't taste like they took a squirt bottle full of cherry syrup and stuck it in it after they brewed it. And I think that's really important um, because, I mean, people don't want to taste artificial shit in a drink. You know, right. those flavors are supposed to be brewed into it. That's what makes beer interesting, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm like, I'm trying to figure out, you know, was there like a specific turning point where like the mainstream turned around on like not everything being like more or less like loggers or yeah was this kind yeah. of like a gradual movement because like i remember even like in the 2000s like hearing like my friend's dad say like i don't want any fruit in my beer like yada yada blah 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 like i don't want I no fruit salad beer <laughs> i i think the turning point and I, I hate to give credit to cores, um, but I think the turning point was Blue Moon. You um, think so? Yeah. I think Blue Moon was the turning point. And this is coming from me because I turned 21, I think, before Blue Moon existed. Or back when Blue Moon maybe was like just a craft beer company. And Coors quickly bought them up. Okay, and yeah. Blue Moon I, was established, I think, in the early 90s. Yeah, I, and again, so I was able to drink in 2000. It just, remember, in, in the Boston area, everything was so saturated. You either had Budweiser or you were drinking Sam Adams. That's how things yeah. were around. Even Harpoon, with the other big Boston one, was a little bit of a lesser thing to find. So I, I'm just going to, I think Blue Moon was really the pinching point. Because Sam Adams, they had their lager and their light for the longest time. It really was the early 2000s that Sam branched out and they had, you know, their their chocolate stout, their this or that. They really only had like four or five beers you could really find for a while. But Blue Moon came around and then I had found um, uh, Shock Top. And Shock, oh, Shock Top, Top's really good too. And Shock, and Shock Top to me, now when Shock Top first came out, they were a craft brew beer company. Yeah. And I got shock top and actually bought a keg of shock top for my kegerator. And it was like really expensive and I could only get a sixth barrel and sh shock top became the thing that like every bar had 
that was like the craft beer, even more so than Blue Moon. And those were like when the like, oh, you want an orange in your beer? And then Sam Adams brought out the Sam Summer, and that's when people were like, oh, okay, I'll put a lemon in my beer. I'm I'm not against the fruit thing anymore. And yeah, the shandies and that's all that. yeah, the sh- and that's how I felt because again, Europe has had this forever. I mean, Europe had the Rattlers and the shandies and the the sours and, and yeah. Um, but uh. Budweiser bought Shock Top, yes, and to be their Blue Moon, and yes. that's that's I think the war because now Shock Top and Blue Moon both have as many varieties as Sam Adams. You know what right. I mean? Like, and and right. and I'll and I'll give Budweiser this: they're clever for being a company that didn't. Whenever they were doing something weird, and this is before uh, who bought them? Was it InBev? I forget yes, which. Yes, it was um, InBev. This is before InBev even stepped in. They definitely put out some great beers. They just didn't want you to know they were an Anheuser-Busch product because they were afraid of losing that base that wanted just Budweiser. So, like, they had Bare Knuckle Stout. Bare Knuckle Stout is one of the best stouts I have ever tried. And it's, yeah. it's 100% a Budweiser product. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. No, and like every time they have tried to do something like more experimental while still being under the brand name, it tends to fall flat. Like, um, Bud Bud Golden Wheat. That was yeah, like. Did you ever have American Lager? I did not. It was incredible. I mean, it's it's not like you know. Oh my God, this is the best beer I've ever had. But it rivaled Sam Adams Boston Lager. It was that okay. same exact type of beer. It was, they nailed it and no one liked it. And I was like, shit, if, if they have this on tra- draft, I'm going to buy it. It costs the same as a freaking regular Budweiser. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, they like, it's wild. They do like, they do take some swings, like in terms of their own, like brand name Bud product line. But the thing is people just like, for the most part, reject it. Like, yeah, there's there's only been a couple of like the newer ones that have really stuck, and those are pretty much like what Bud Light Platinum and the Limerita line. Yeah, and and the and the I think Bud Light Lime is still around. People really like that. Yeah, yeah. No, my my dad was um, head of Bud Light Lime marketing for. Uh, no, he was head of Bud Light marketing for Latin American and uh, marketing, and then he was head of Bud Light Lime. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry, that was a weird name drop. Not name drop, but like pushing my dad there. Uh, but yeah, well, I'm just thinking. I'm trying to go think like that's that's wild because those. I mean, when you think of, I mean, they, they advertised crap out of that i mean like and these companies like to get a lot of crap on them i i give budweiser a lot of crap because their main beer is just such a boring version of what it is but for people that want a light beer that they can drink a lot of there's nothing wrong quote unquote with Coors light or miller light or bud light if, no, if like- that's if that's a flavor people want there's not i mean more power to you for wanting to drink something that doesn't have 300 calories like a Sam Adams, you know, no, a light <laughs> beer on a hot summer day is so yeah. refreshing. It's, it's the same thing with me. I personally 
strongly dislike and and I've had good versions of them. So but I don't really dislike the I don't really like the Mexican cerveza style beer, the Corona style beer. Yeah. Most of the time. Like on a on a winter day, it's not a beer I would go for. But damn if in Cancun that wasn't what I drank the whole time because it was so refreshing and wonderful and perfect. So I get it. You know what I mean? Like there there's something to be said for all styles. I um it, it's just I wish people would branch out more. Like, have you ever had a good Pilsner? Like not Miller Lite? Um occasion like I've had good Pilsners. I've never had a Pilsner that's been like, holy shit, like that's a good beer. Yeah, see, I, I have, and that's what blew me away. Like that that throwback brewery does a thing called the Bohemian Pilsner, and it's a Pilsner, when it's done absolutely right, has as complex of a flavor as an IPA. If they do it right, <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Like, and, and it, it knocked my socks off. It's like, wow, this, and a Pilsner is strange. Pilsners and lagers are two of the hardest styles to make. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I'm like, something that just occurred to me is I wonder how much of like, are what, our like kind of weird beer culture up until like the two thousands was uh, partially because of like what we understood European beers to be. That's exactly it. That's why I think the Belgians have such a big influence because it was blue moon and, um, and shock top really. And, and um, uh, what's it? Who's that up in Maine? Um, Allagash white and Amagang. Um, you know, those breweries really brought the, oh, and uh, Sierra Nevada does a couple of good ones like that, too. They really brought the wheat, beer, Belgian fad in. And yeah, uh, what I'm surprised, like, what I'm surprised is that they, you, you'd expect them to go with the higher alcohol content, too, in a lot of them. But they, most of the big names don't, don't double down on that, which I find interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, sorry. So where I was kind of like going with my thought process there yeah, is um, like what was understood as like European beers before like we kind of had the like the concept of like Belgians and stuff in right. like mainstream culture. I think it was stuff like Heineken and Stella Artois, yeah. which are skunky, not particularly pleasant beers. Yeah, it, it blew my mind about Stella Artois because I, I thought back to that and I'm like, that does not taste like a Belgian beer to me. And, no, and Vincent, I have some in my fridge, like still left over from when my dad brought some. And my, <laughs> like, my friend Vincent is from Belgium. Yeah. And, and he had said to me, he goes, you know why you don't think of that as a Belgian beer? He goes, because that's our Budweiser. He's like, yeah. that's the thing find on draft everywhere he goes it's basically a heineken it's basically a really bad pilsner like right like it is it's nasty stuff like in europe like people call it like a wife beater beer like yeah it's (laughs) it's not particularly well liked so i think there was also that like conception of like what european beers were in the u.s was like Heineken and Stella Artois, and they are unpleasant. And you know, and then you get the Bavarian stuff, 
and you get the worst versions of those too. Like it, it, it all trickles down to you know everybody that tried to make a European beer. You're right; they all tasted like Heineken. It was all like they just wanted it all to be that. You know, to people, you had your lager, you had your stout, you had your IPA, and you had your Heineken. Yeah. <laughs> Like Heineken was a style to certain people, right? It was like, oh, that's that skunky green bottle one. Yeah, it's wild. And now people are way open to to a lot more. But yeah, you're right. It was it was the the European thing, and it's amazing to me that you know, like, have you ever had? I've had actual Budweiser. Do you know like the story red, behind Budweiser? What like yeah, I. I elaborate because i think you're going somewhere where i'm not really sure Budweiser is an actual german beer okay Uh, and the head of anheuser-busch had one and loved it and copied the style and stole the name and so if you buy a if you buy a budweiser in europe you can actually find the original budweiser um and in the towns that sell that, the Anheuser-Busch product is called like Anheuser-Busch Lager or something like that. There was some rule where it, you just can't sell it as, as my name here. Like there was a court case or something. But I had, and it, it is obviously the same style of beer, but couldn't taste any different. Like it's just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really? Kind of wild. Oh, man. And I wonder, like, how much, like, the conception of just, like, lagers in the U.S. are, like, based on what we think of, like, of Bud Light and Budweiser and whatnot. Like, I think lager has kind of taken this connotation of, like, very watery beer. Yeah, which, like, isn't really necessarily the case. Like, I've had, like... Um, we have a, a local brewing company here called Surly, uh, and they make a lager that is very full bodied and, you know, it still kind of has that like kind of refreshing feeling that you get from drinking like a lot of those like bigger, uh, macro brewery lagers, but it's, um, has like a very much more intense flavor profile. And th- that's that's exactly it is, you know, I, I think it's the flavor profile that people are missing when they mass produce these things. And it, uh, you know, lager, it's so weird to me that lager became like because, y- you know, certain beers for the longest time, they just said beer. Yeah. That's style it was. I mean, there's there's a place you say Surly's. There's a place called McSorley's in, okay. in New York. It's in um, it's not in Hell's Kitchen. It's in. um in the area all the punk rockers came from in new york i'm gonna the the east not that east village is is california um mm. I'm, I'm gonna get I'll, i can't remember the area but it, it's it's a really cool place greenwich um, no yeah greenwich it's probably no no maybe it, it, it it's it's the place um like the singer from the sex pistols killed himself there i think or not maybe it, anyway i uh, blanked <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I blanked. It's okay. It's it's a fun place. The McSorley's has a really weird past. Like until the '90s, they only had a bathroom for men, you know, and stuff. It's like a weird old 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 pub, but it kind of has that like historical. Like it, it's uh, you know, people go because it's a novelty, right? Right. And they serve their beers in little taster, like two ounce, three ounce size bottles. 
you when you order a beer, you get six of them. Like it's how it's always been. And they have two beers. There's no style. They have McSorley's Dark and McSorley's Light. <laughs> the dark is a porter and the light is a lager. You know what I mean? And it blows my mind that that's kind of how the majority of the country was. The reason that it's that way is because it used to be, yeah, you know, the local pub made their own beer and they had a light and a dark. I don't know where America became lager land because I, lagers are really friggin' hard to make. I think like, that's kind of like a 20th, maybe like late 19th century thing. Like kind of, kind of the like, the one thing became popular and it's probably because of like the large German immigration to the U.S. in the mid-1800s kind of like cemented that. That's true, yeah. Because I mean, an ale, an ale you can make in almost any temperature condition. Mm -hmm. But a lager and a pilsner you need like, and I guess it's because they were coming from areas that were just colder. Uh, right. I guess is what. <laughs> um, now, speaking of beers, you know that that come from a weird thing. Do you know the story behind IPAs? Um, how they were developed for traveling across the ocean. Yep. Yep. That that would be why they got the India, and they were big big part of the East India Trading Company, and and how they had stuff. to use a lot of hops as basically a preservative. Yep. And, yep. and how Egypt. Um, is still, I think, the place that was classified as inventing beer, at least the brewing process of beer. And the reason that they had to invent it, like most alcohol in history, is because their water was fucking vile and people were dying. <laughs> and so you know, this was a way water drinkable. <laughs> like, I don't think we talk enough about how, like, up until, like, maybe a couple centuries ago, most people were walking around at some level of day drunk. I think I'd say that didn't drop away till the 1930s. <laughs> no, because like, think about it, England, England for the 19th, because since they basically were industrial revolution um, uh, ground zero, they didn't have the luxury of like at least people building stuff over in the U.S. were going, okay, England did this 40 years ago, but they forgot about plumbing. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> So they got to, so we didn't, I mean, that's how the black plague spread so easily. <laughs> People didn't know that you just can't dump your shit onto the street, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's wild day drunk or on opiates is basically all of history. Right. Like up until like very recently, I don't think we comprehend the amount of like narcotics people took on a regular basis. And it was just fine. This is your happy juice. These are like, your these are your wake up and deal with the day pills. Like people used to take cocaine for their toothaches. They used to take cocaine for behavior. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like, like, um, like the same way we do with caffeine. Oh man, I'm feeling I'm feeling a little downtrodden. Let me blow a line before this meeting so I can function. Right. <laughs> I mean, that was huge. That was huge in the 70s. Right. I mean, like, Die Hard is not fucking around with, like, the way that that business was run. When, when you see, like, the behind the closed doors stuff. Big American business was, I mean, uh, what's it? Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street deals heavy on that. 
right? Like quaaludes, and I didn't. Yeah, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just try it once. There's no way I could get addicted. Oh shit! <laughs> right, like, oh my god! Like even like, just like in the realm of like legal substances, like three martini lunches were still a thing until like the '60s and '70s. In some places around here, I, I work in a lot of tech companies. We, my company, was looking at a building to um, move into for a company that unfortunately downsized due to COVID. And they basically, it looked like the end of a, um, or the beginning of like the second act of a really bad post-apocalyptic movie, because it looked like people just left. All their stuff was still in their offices, and one whole room was the bar. Oh my god. And, like, to me, I mean, I work with high-voltage machinery. That's a no-no here. Like, we, we, can't, <laughs> right. we can't even drink, like, you know, couldn't even, like, take a client out to lunch and, you know, have a beer with them. Like, that, that's, it just doesn't happen. But these places, they said, oh, no, 3 p.m. every day, we rolled out kegs and kept working for another three hours. It's like, yeah. Well, they had, a, they had a virtual golf simulator at this company. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, no, the, the whole rise of, like the the friendly corporation that does like drinks after 4 p.m and that sort of thing yeah yep oh yeah <laughs> crazy yeah i'm trying to think of other weird styles that i've come across um i mean the 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 hipster side of it, which, which, you know, I, I say is a negative and is a positive because that, that community that latches onto stuff and just gets weird has done some great things are really the, the kombucha industry and its flavorings have started to find their way into beer. And that's really funky. You get a lot of things with like weird, um, honey substitutes and, um, lots of lemongrass and pine and stuff yeah. ends up being and it's like all right this is cool like um you know i've seen what passion fruit has been a big takeover um yeah. tangerines and weird nectars and um i've seen a lot of beers that do like um like odd tea like infusions right um, like the whole like kind of cross-pollination of like beers with other drinks um sort of thing oh, like beer the whole cocktails. that's a huge one now yeah and like and just like mixing also the processes of other drinks like the whole like honey thing that's kind of got like elements of mead yep. mixing into beer which like also very funny when you like first learn that mead is not like some hyper alcoholic viking beverage but really like rose water and honey yep um wonderful by the way as yeah. a side <laughs> um but uh what was i thinking of oh yeah but no the cross-pollination of beverages like i think like one of the big things that emerged um and i believe it like the first big one was goose islands um bourbon stout which they introduced oh, so in, I think, 1992. Um, so good. Yes, it is delicious. It's wonderful. Um, but, like, that started, like, a whole, like, niche trend of breweries creating their own bourbon stouts uh, to <laughs> various um, results. And, you know, it's it's funny. Um, 
you talk about the the things mixing. There's a meadery here called Moonlight Meadery in New Hampshire, and okay. me and my wife went, and they do a thing um, where they take bourbon barrels that have been used to make beer, and then take those and use those to make their mead. Oh, so it's like a yeah. weird. It's a weird circle. Um, they they make one called the Utopian, where they use the bourbon barrels that Sam Adams used for their Utopias. They they have um, uh, ones that they take. There's another company that makes some high yield beer with bourbon local around here that they take from. And I think that's really cool. I mean, you you go to you know a winery and see you know the bourbon barrels there as well. That they I mean that that's a big thing. the The barrel infusion is a wine industry thing. You know, yeah. that, that they started that, oh, you know, you make Jack Daniels, send it to us and we'll make a wine in it. And it gives it a really cool um, thing. And I, I just there's so much history and so much science and trial and error and weird stuff involved in these industries that it's it's always such a bummer that people only have one view of it or one thing to go off of. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think like right now we're just in very exciting times for if you're into beer. Um, and I assume that things are just going to continue to get weirder and more unique and interesting. I know interesting is kind of a thought terminating cliche, but you know, it, it's getting unique and there's so much cool stuff to try. A thing that, um, that I wish my, my wife and I were, were in a couple mug clubs and we're still in them, but we haven't been able to go basically since we've had kids. Um, but a mug club, if you don't, it's like, you know, you find a, a, either a brewery or a bar that has a lot of cool beers and they have breweries come in and talk about their thing and you get free samples and it, it's a lot of fun and we like doing it. And Wachusett Brewery is a local brewery here in Massachusetts. They're right over near the Wachusett Mountain Ski Area, which is one of the last local ski areas in Massachusetts because um, climate change over the years has moved the snow out of here as much, mm-hmm. but Wachusett mm-hmm. still gets a lot of it. But um, Wachusett Brewery, they're a very odd, you know, they like to mess around and they brought a guy in their like guy that came in to do their, um, their, their talk during the beer club. I wish I had seen a bigger trend in this um, happen more. But he brought in a thing that they, they started making like tea um, infusers for hops. And oh. the idea was he wanted to teach us about the dry hopping process. And so he watched started manufacturing these. And the idea was you could buy hops wherever you want, whatever flavors, and see what the different styles do to a beer by dry hopping any beer you want. And so he said, so I'm going to bring you a bunch of beers and we're going to drink them. And then we're going to take them and you're going to infuse them right now, like while you're drinking them with hops and, and see how it changes the flavor profile. And I was like, this is fascinating. And the best one was they made a watermelon beer. Now, watermelon beers are usually a little too fruity for me. Yeah. But let me tell you, dry hop a watermelon beer, life-changing. Okay. Yeah, I imagine <laughs> that that's like kind of a unique flavor combination that ends up turning out really well. Like, I, I'm also like not a big watermelon person myself, but like the whole idea of like putting salt on your watermelon, like kind yes. of like introducing different flavors to complement it, I think works really well. 
you can do watermelon rinds in place of um in place of scallops if you have a shellfish allergy or you just don't like scallops and do the watermelon rhymes wrapped in bacon and candy it and bake it and it, oh. it's it's insane it's insane how good it is yeah oh man it's, um but yeah um that hey, um yeah so i gotta like legit get back to work now that's what i'm that's what i was just gonna say i was i was about to end it to tell you the truth <laughs> But um, I was going to say, dude, Andy, thank you as well as I want to say always for coming in. Obviously, we have enough to talk about about any subject, so you're always welcome back on. Oh, but real you. quick, but real quick, say goodbye and tell the people anything you want to tell them. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Uh, first, you know, talk about just like where our minds were with the state of the world and then, you know, go on and on for a very long time on the weird world of beers that we like. Um, <laughs> but uh, overall, you know, um, if you like what I do, uh, listen to some of the other podcasts that I've guested on with Chris. Uh, otherwise, I had a short series of podcasts that I made called My Girlfriend Hates My Podcast. That name is now out of date. It should be My Fiance Hates My Podcast. Yes, uh, congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'll get back to doing a new series of episodes with that sometime. Uh, just whenever I actually have free time again. Um, but otherwise, you know... Um, Glad that you all listened, <laughs> everyone. I hope that this offered some sort of relief in the increasingly bizarre world that we live in. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Andy, for shooting the shit with Chip, as always. And thank you all for listening. And we're both going to go back to work. So we'll talk to you later.